0: Thank you for tuning in to The Leadership Forum, a space where you will hear perspectives from global industry executives on human ingenuity and how they catalyzed it to unlock value and realize the organization's true potential. We will keep it real. We will hear what's worked well and learnings from instances where things could have worked better. I'm your host, Sakipali, partner at SpiderWorks and Explorer. Say hi to the future, the fast-growing community highlighting the human side of ingenuity. But like I said, Heartbeat is Included in insight. To get more of those insights, let's hear from our panelists because they'll be providing us with lots of insights as well. Um, the first one up, Mike, please come on, join me on the stage. Mike is the senior partner, a um, magic director at, um, at CBRE, and he's got multiple regions under him. Yogi? Uh, Johanna Terrell please. Uh, Johanna Terrell is the CEO of Orwell and Wall Street. Um, is a creative connector and also a world-celebrated strategist. And then we've got Brett Foley. Brett is partner at Triad Architects, Triad Facility Solutions, and Triad Development Partners. Um, but you know what? The way I've introduced all of you guys right now is a name and a title. And I know each one of you loves more than a name and a title. So, Mike, why don't you do this up and introduce yourself to us in how you would speak to
1: everyone. Uh, I was reflecting on this um, question on the way in this today, and I think instead of the way that I would want to introduce myself, I guess the way that I'd want to overhear somebody describing me would be that uh, somebody that has created growth and uh, opportunity for other people.
2: Um, yeah, I will say that uh, I would want people to think of me as someone who cares about helping other people, and. Um, someone who cares about creatively solving problems. Awesome.
3: Fred? Somebody who doesn't know how to use a mic. <laughs> 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 just kidding. Uh, I want people to know me as somebody who can help make other people's dreams happen.
0: All right. So today the entire conversation is around heartbeat. Uh, you've heard from some of the speakers before. Um, why don't we just go back in line and have a bit of a conversation on what is What's your view you should take apart? Go ahead,
3: start with me. so in prep, which we got the, the script yesterday, so I didn't have a lot of time. <laughs> which is on purpose I think. Yes. I, I thought about this question and um, I thought of a specific example in terms of, with our team. Uh, during during COVID, uh, it brought out the best and worst in people. Uh, but it also brought out a real understanding of who was a cultural fit for your company and who wasn't right? Um, people that were committed to still figuring things out people who were, who were leaving because of uh, whatever answers you had to whatever the hardest situations that had to be decided. And so we had a lot We had a lot of attrition during COVID, but we had a lot of people stay. Uh, so coming out of the situation, um, we were really faced with the idea of, well, how do we make sure that the people that stay here see a future and try it, right? They can stay here, uh, they can build their careers here because we want the people that fit the culture to stay. And so, uh, thinking about heartbeat, you gotta know what they want. You gotta know what their wants are, you gotta know what their desires are, what their dreams are. So we did a series of uh, surveys. So I I sat down with every employee across the company. Uh, Now we're not as big as CPRE, so we're not as many. Uh, About 20 or so, and just had a series of questions, prompting questions. What are your personal dreams? What are your professional dreams? Tell me me about your personal history. Uh, Tell me where you wanna be in a year. Tell me where you wanna be in five years. So I did those interviews first. And then after the interviews, I sat down with them and their direct report, and we built a, a, a career path plan for them. There was all kinds of interesting things that came out of that that I didn't know about people, uh, and things they wanted to do, and we were able to align their goals, with our company goals. So it was about taking their personal Heartbeat and aligning with the company Heartbeat as a set That's amazing. Yeah, that's very cool.
2: Go ahead. Um, heartbeat, to me, uh, really, When I think about heartbeat, especially recently, um, I think at the core, just we're all human. And I think that we spend a lot of time separating ourselves from whether that's position, title, sex. We find so many ways. And then, you know, even with technology, technology is, you know, trying to help us solve problems, also, you know, creating more distance and and things like that. I think at the end, heartbeat to me means. We all have a very short time on this planet. And during that time, we all go through a lot, life life all the time, right? But what really drives us forward as a people is that opportunity to connect with the heartbeat. What is the heartbeat of the culture? What is the heartbeat of, you know, uh, your country or your community? And I think that that is what, what drives us and connects us as humans, really is that kind of collective heartbeat. Like we all are here, but at the end of the day, no matter how we try to separate ourselves, and whether that's position or career or whatever it is, at the end of the day, we all connect at a human level, and that connection is really what drives the world forward. Uh, you know what I mean? So that's that's kind of what Heartbeat means to me. And, and the way Brent, the way you spoke about it was was alignment. way
0: I'm hearing it from you, yours is, is connection. Yes. Yes. And so. Um, Let's go with Mike and hear with Mike say. So
1: I would say that when I can feel the heartbeat on our team is when I'm seeing uh, our teammates being like really curious and asking questions to solve problems, um, but then also um, watching them like selfishly like kind of helping each other. Uh, our business is uh, not only linear business, every problem they're solving is very different. And so like when I feel that heartbeat, I see people asking lots of questions and then just kind of Leaning in to help each other come to a solution.
0: All right, so alignment, connection, curiosity, right? Um, that would be, will that be a great way to sum up how we all we All right, fantastic. You know what, we'll, we'll get into specific examples for each one of you, and and um, Yogi, know, we, we'll get you to start us off. Um, I know you are, right now, uh, be associated, uh, you're a director on the board of the fashion initiative. Uh, talk to us, some of us are better informed about it, some of us are not. Tell us what is the fashion initiative, what's its goal, what's its purpose, and, and how, is, how do you think that could become Columbus's
2: heart? Um, yeah, uh, so the Columbus Fashion in- Initiative is a strategy that uh, I created around 2019 and it was based off of the fact that Columbus has built this huge economic driver, which is the fashion and retail industry. We pretty much have invented specialty retail here in this market. And, um, but that, that industry was, was not built like other fashion cities. So when you look at LA and New York, LA, New York fashion is part of the culture of the city. So people are involved in a, you know, from the ground up, you know, from, from kids all the way in, in, into, that, into that role. So here's good silos. Um, But being someone who's who's come from poverty, coming from underserved communities, I knew uh, how much, you know, people in my community influenced fashion and how much they drove fashion, drove the trends. And what I instantly recognized is that there was a total separate disconnect. There was a disconnect between the industry here and the culture. And so, you know, you can look at it as a problem or you can look at it as a possibility. And that's how I looked at it. I looked at it as a possibility, and I said, for all of the for all of those young individuals in this city who have some type of creative spark in them, or don't even know that they have that spark because they haven't been exposed to it, here's an opportunity to do that. And so, the whole initiative is about breaking down the barriers and taking the industry from the silos, bringing it down to the community, and seeing what happens when you expose more people to it and you make it part of the culture. And so. Over the next few years, I mean, and to make transformational change, it's a lot of components, right? Sure. I mean, a lot of things to make transformational change. Uh, there's will, there's resources, there's access, there's all of that stuff. And so, while this is a long-term vision that we have, uh, we're starting with the we're starting with the youth, right? We're building that culture up. We're starting with the people, but it's really all focused on the commons, and I can see that. 10 years from now, really changing the face of our city to where it's not just an industry that exists here, it's an industry that thrives here. And when you think about the future of Columbus, right, we're bringing big tech into the market. We're a big logistical hub here in the market. We're 10 times cheaper than LA and New York. When you think about where fashion and retail is going, we pretty much have all of the ingredients to like rise our profile as a city, but you need the culture to be there first. So that's really what it's about: building a culture, creating a pathway, and starting to really embrace who we are as a fashion city, and not just having it exist here in silos because of you know because of our history around fashion. Because it could die like that, yeah. and it can no longer be here if we don't start to bring it down to the next generation. So, so, bring it down for say in
0: 2024. All of us. What what are one or two things that we might see? that will be an orchestration of the fashion industry?
2: Well, I mean, we're very excited about it, but um, two things that we're focused on right now. One is to create a space, right? Place-based economics. We're creating a social enterprise, which is gonna be called the uh, fashion, CFA Fashion Innovation Center. Uh, we're actually going to open that up. It's gonna be adjacent. It's gonna be on uh, Columbus State's uh, CCAD's campus. We're actually purchasing a building from CCAD, um, and we're going to start building community in that, in that neighborhood. Right? So that we're bringing people before, during, and after college, you know, so we can start to create kind of like a sticky community where you grow from a a place and not in uh, suburbs. So that's one, is creating a home for anyone who's dreamt of getting into the industry, someone who wants to reinvent themselves, someone who wants to just, you know, uh, try something on the side or want to create a whole new career for themselves. You need places. So that's one. And then the other thing we're doing is we're going to start Pulsing more that heartbeat, right? We're gonna start pulsing more outside of the market to let the rest of the country know this is who we are. So we're gonna start doing a trade show. We have our first trade show next year, and that's gonna attract the industry here to see, you know, just what Columbus is all about. A lot of people don't know that uh, we're the third largest fashion industry in the country. And so this is gonna be happening uh, next year. It's called DTC, which means Direct to Columbus. Kind of play on words because DTC is Direct to Consumer, so we're kind of flipping that and calling it DTC Direct to Columbus.
0: Very cool, and, and you know, if I, if I was just to just reflect back on a lot of the things that we do as far as CIDA in the future, like you have actually thought about it from the human side first, right? Mm-hmm. And then now the rest of these blocks are coming in, so this is fantastic. Thanks, thanks okay. for sharing that with us. Um, Brent, I mean, if, if I, you know, and we've had multiple conversations. You um, were there as a speaker last year uh, at the Seattle in the future, uh, event that happened in um and then since then you've had multiple conversations. One of the things that I see on, on every, writer, every website, every, you know, everywhere I go from a, from a prior standpoint, it's um, design is about people. And and as I reflect that, in a lot of cases, design, you know, um, for the uninitiated, design is about functionality, design is about, but you start with design is about people. So speak us a bit more about how that uh, belief is and how does that get orchestrated in, in how you how you do your work how the, how your team comes together and how could that be a potential partner for even broader communities
3: sure so um, alignment saying on that theme you know so design thinking always starts with the problem when people start talking about design thinking but before there's a problem somebody comes to us with a vision an inspiration an idea I want to build this school to serve these kids I want to Design this fashion space, and, and CCAD doesn't hire. <laughs> um, whatever the vision might be, right? And, and they come to us. So that starts with a person. That starts with an idea. That starts with the idea of serving people in some way. So initially, just out of out of the gate, it starts with people. And then you know, design thinking goes to okay, that's the vision. That's the goal. What are the challenges? What are the things in the way to getting there? And that's where design problem solving comes into play, but. A step that a lot of people skip, and I've learned a lot actually by studying service designers and service designers in this crowd, um, is talking to the people who know those challenges and problems the most. Right? Who are the stakeholders? Who are the community members? Who are the people who understand intimately how those different challenges affect them? And so our first step in our process is to verify what we talk about what is, the, what is the big goal, what are the visions, but then it's like, what are the, what's the problem and who are the people we need to talk to to better understand that problem, and we build custom engagement processes to talk to them, but even then moving to the next uh, third part of our piece, which is analyzing developing solutions for those problems, at the end of the day, we've got to be able to communicate it back, right, and so it still inter- interacts with people. Right. You still have to be able to talk to a person. You have to understand what you mean, those things. So every, harmoniously, we're trying to uh, balance vision, stakeholders, and problem solving. But each of those requires interactions and understanding with people. So that's what we talk about when we talk about people. And if you're looking about alignment, and the idea of heartbeat, you're about alignment, all your heartbeats are beating the same and, and, you know, so, so just to keep going through this, um, in a lot
0: of cases, if, not done properly it could turn into a lot of noise right so what is your thought and how do you how do you let's say if it's an ekg how do you know that you're getting the right beats measured versus having something that goes out and it just becomes a lot of noise and you can't distill the signal from it
3: i, I think uh the proof is that put in the pudding once you once you solve the problem quote unquote is it actually solving the problem after the fact uh, is the way you know whether or not you hit the heartbeat. So there's kind of this uh, stereotype, two types of architects in the world. There's the, the typical uh, Howard Gordon head, who's the guy who just designs for his ego and has, doesn't care about what the people want at all, and it's all about the aesthetics and inspiration, right? And that doesn't solve the problem. There's the other technical architect that gets in and, <laughs> and solves the problem, and it's a very efficient, it's a very uh, effective uh, solution, but it doesn't inspire the people inside the space. So I think when you go into the space, you hear how people are talking about the space. Uh, that's when you know you hit the heartbeat. For example, uh, we did a um, uh, elementary school for West City Schools. And my uh, designer was going through, was going through and through the back punch, which is when we're checking the contract with the things. They saw a teacher in her room, and she was on FaceTime with her mom crying because she got to teach in that classroom. So that's when you know that the heartbeat Right.
0: Very cool, um, I'll be able to come to you and, and there, there are two very different ways in which I wanna have this conversation and, and frankly the people here should benefit from. Um, one of them is exactly what you said on, on when you came on the podcast, which is, you have a different take on diversity, sure, right? Um, specifically as it relates to return to office. Now I know the real estate industry has a very different conversation around it, I get that, understand, um, and generally speaking, just to give everyone the context, that the way we were having this conversation, you know, the, the thought is always, there are lots of people who are either from underserved communities or diverse communities or people who are from a certain class who feel psychological safety when they're working from, from home, uh, and therefore coming back into the office is something that uh, is not necessarily going to be uh, but you had a very different take,
1: and frankly, I, it was very insightful. So, why don't you share that with us? Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of a deeper thought, and I will say, like, to get to where I believe the things I'd want to share with you would be. So, I'm certainly coming from a place of privilege. Uh, I actually think a privileged environment was the reason that I became aware of what would happen if I was just working in my neighborhood uh, and hanging with people that kind of look and think like me. Uh, I have the benefit of living in a really affluent community that unfortunately is not very diverse. Uh, and during COVID, what I certainly found myself is that my connections in person were really kind of limited to uh, people that looked and kind of thought like me. And, you know, as time went on, I really thought, you know, what would happen to me if I was just working in in my house and spending most of my time in our community. And I what I would expand upon that is that, um, you know, most of us do kind of hang around and live with people that kind of look and reflect our values. That's just the way that neighborhoods are built out. I don't want to say that everybody in this neighborhood, or everybody in this room does that, but if you look at like where concentrations of people live, it's usually people that are kind of look the same, do the same thing, and kind of think the same way. Uh, and I deeply believe in the power of work. Uh, I've came up to the service industry, and I've, I feel like there you kind of have these collisions with people, of all different types of backgrounds Uh, in races and genders. And I do think that, you know, work, being in an office or another place, has a a power to, you know, get people to experience other people, to build those bonds, to create those relationships where you have the opportunity to learn from somebody that doesn't necessarily um, walk in the shoes that you're walking in every single day. Uh, So as it applies to like, you know, return to office or other, I don't, Believe in you know five days a week I believe in uh, hybrid and tons of flexibility uh, but I do believe in like intentionality and anything an employer would do around you know creating a policy for the work you know Brent had shared a little bit about what they did and I felt like that exposed people to different perspectives uh, unfortunately what I see uh, is not a lot of intentionality and I think sometimes the larger companies really struggle with creating a policy um, that I think actually can create isolation and thought, uh, and isolation from like, other experiences and other people. So to me, like one of the things I really wor- worry about is that I, I think the-, the lack of intentionality and this, um, I guess this ease of being able to kind of just check out and work in your house is something that's like, really, really weighs in my mind because the future to me is only gonna be more challenging and more complicated. And I think that, for me, the relationships that I've built um, through work, mostly, and doing things in the community, and the experiences I've gotten through work uh, have allowed me to kind of have whatever success I've had now. And it's when I think about working for a large company, I don't put any faith on the company's going to employ me tomorrow. I look at the fact that I need to have the most amount of skills and relationships. So if I get a call later today that my position's been terminated I'm going to be able to navigate it in the future, and I think that's a little bit in contrast to this idea that you can do all the things that you need to do professionally in a area of isolation, working in your own neighborhood, working in your kitchen, and working all virtually. Very
0: insightful, uh, and and what that led me to then go on and have a further conversation is, is is around the fact that so uh, you know the space, and you've spoken about this. So you, you hear me? A space is not just square feet, right? And it's it's funny because um, every time that I've had a conversation with uh, somebody in the real estate industry, it's always about it's always about dollars per square foot, right? And somehow that's not how you thought about it. And and here, go ahead and declare it for all of us. What is it that you would say? that's it's not dollars per square
1: foot, it's like dollar per per, per potential. Or like oh. I think we everything. I would say I look at it as per potential. I think most of the uh, clients that we would deem to be employers of choice that have uh, a really great success in retaining people and attracting really high talent, look at creating great spaces. They you know have policies that are inclusive. They have policies that are flexible. But they also create really creative spaces that people are drawn to. I think about the Spaceman right now, I think about the space that uh, Brent talked about designing for students, I think about what, what Yogi said about what he wants to do for his organization. Uh, I do think space has a super uh, important part in the platform that employers offer their people. I don't think that space is the end all be all and what should be offered to employees. It should be you know great benefits and compensation, great leaders, it should be a, you know, a great remote policy, it should be all the things, but space to me has a really important part in that. And so when we look at the employers that figure that out and they offer that into kind of a platform of benefits of coming to work for XYZ company, often they're the ones that are most successful in retaining their people and then recruiting new people.
0: Fantastic. Um, we're going to get to some uh, audience questions, but before we do that, as part of this whole say hi the future um, activation and the way we are, we are doing this, um, there's a whole element of, like in the morning, we got spoken to by some of the speakers. Um, here, it's about speaking with, right? Um, and then when you were in your games, it's about speaking amongst ourselves. So let's take a bit of a moment, uh, and Brent, we'll get you to take it off,
3: Something you've heard from either Yogi or, or, uh, or Mike, and, and that's interesting, and you'd want to ask them a question. Man, I have a couple I have to pick. Uh, Two uh, minutes. I'll pick on you, Yogi. Thinking <laughs> <laughs> um, of heartbeat and thinking about the project you're about to do on CC. but also putting in my mind, oh yeah, our friends, we've known each other for a while, your personal story of where you came from, when you're, you're trying to create a new place, uh, place-making, here i had a lot of problems with the term place making because it tends to say that there wasn't already a place there yeah. right and so as you uh somebody who came from a background neighborhood that probably maybe be gentrified eventually the, the previous neighborhood the previous residents may be forgotten as you think about creating a sense of place what are you thinking about discovering the place that's already there and incorporating it into the new place is that something you're considering as you're going
2: yeah, I think uh, one of the reasons that we think that the location is really good is just because of the energy around it you know and we don't want to come in and create something new in this this area that is different we want to enhance the rest of the area right and actually make it a part of the community you know um, when we went to uh, we went to CCAD and we met some of the fashion students there and they talked about once they graduated they had these great facilities right and you see this in a lot of colleges too you get you go to college and you have access to like state-of-the-line equipment all this type of you know you know tools and, and and resources but then once you graduate you lose a lot of access to that and then if you don't get hired by the retail industry you have to either move because there is no there is no place so when i when i thought about this place i figured you know this is a great asset that one can help connect to the other community uh, uh colleges right you got columbus state over there you got ccad um but also there can be an exchange there. So like, can we cross promote, can we teach classes, you know, uh, CCAD classes inside our spaces? Can we work on workforce development with Columbus State? So, you know, the whole, uh, not just the intention of the space itself, but how that space helps build community in that whole area uh, is what made us select that location.
0: Does that's great.
2: I have a question. Sure. Yeah, I have a question. (laughs) When you talk about, <laughs> when you talk about uh, first of all, I love this uh, uh, $1 per square potential. Yeah, is that exactly. what it is, or $1 per potential? Um, you know, uh, tell me more about that. Like, how has that come to life in some of your projects?
1: Yeah, so we've certainly seen it come to life in like, our own office with our own design, um, but we've seen it uh, with multiple clients and multiple locations, and I think it just starts with like, the intentionality. Of really getting to know your people, like kind of like what Brent did, which is going to be my question for you. Uh, <laughs> it's just understanding what uh, what your people want, and then working with them through that change. Uh, but also really understanding like what you as a business are trying to accomplish, and so you know that that potential is realized when you're tying together, you know, the things that are important to your people, the kind of the mission of your of your business, uh, and then what you're doing inside that space to try to accomplish like the company's goal. I think one of the big shifts that we saw in real estate in the last 10 years was just that companies were being, you know, I'd say leading at ed- leading edge companies were being you know, really intentional with the space that they designed to help them accomplish whatever mission that would be, be it like logistics or office or retail space, um, because we look at as space as an opportunity to help somebody accomplish an outcome. Uh, so intentionality is probably the most important thing because everybody has a different business different industry different location And that's the part that like I see where I guess where it's easier probably to probably say where I see a miss than I see where it's successful uh, You know one of the things that we probably have been most surprised and disappointed by and we talked about this the other day is that so many um, Clients or large tenants of like well, you know, let's say that they're, they're in the banking industry They'll reach out to us and say like hey, I really want to know what XYZ um, technology companies doing. I want to use that as my plan for coming back to the office. or I'll use my, That's my plan. that I'm going to design my space. And we're like, well, are you a technology company? They're like, well, no. I'm like, well, then why are you doing what they did? We're like, Well, it looks really like flashy and cool, and it's got won lots of awards. I think, you know, it is disappointing at times that, like, companies don't want to do that deep dive that, like Brent did, really kind of get to know what your people do. but. I think some of that, you know, COVID has certainly changed that. Where they really have to, one kind of become get really very real with their data, really real with their people, uh, if they're going to want to accomplish their goals, and then make part and make real estate part of that. Thanks. Um,
0: we're going to open it up. Just checking, taking a time to check. Um, anybody here in the audience has a question for the panelists? Please. There's a runner who's coming to the mic.
3: So thinking ahead to the future, since that's the subject, how do you think we should be preparing students? I teach at Otterbein, formerly Ohio State. How should we be preparing
0: students to be successful in the future? So much change, lack of connection, all the things that you guys talked about.
3: What do we need to do to prepare them to be successful? I want to hand the mic to Kim Gattis and Dan Garrick and answer that question because they they know the answer, but maybe I'll speak to something they're doing. So um, design thinking, design solving, is a skill that is applicable across the board. Uh, Yogi serves on an advisory board for an organization I'm involved with where we are doing camps to teach kids architecture and design with the goal of leading more kids to architecture and design, diversifying our field, but also knowing any student that goes to those camps gets the value of learning about creative problem solving. So I think we just need to, I, my suggestion is more of and the sales has a design program that they've incorporated in their program I was speaking of. Whether or not those kids become designers, they learn how to solve problems. And that's what we need for students. We need to know how to not just, what Ken say there is no box. Get out of the, the non-existent box, right? And just open your eyes and be able to look at things differently. That's, that's my suggestion. Um, yeah, I also
2: think, I, I agree with you. I think that um, not just technical skills anymore. I think, you know, power skills. I think life experience, like I said, design thinking. I think uh, what what I hear from a lot of students is, yes, I learned this thing, or I'm, I'm educated, right? But do I really know how to navigate life? Do I really know how to navigate challenges? And I think that we could do more by pouring into them personally than we do just through Taking tests and, and and remembering, you know, code or whatever that is. But I think uh, we could see more shift going into pouring into students as as humans and helping them prepare for really what life
1: is really about. So I had the benefit of being on uh, OSU's campus yesterday. And it was uh, it was really energizing. You know, we walked through a couple classrooms and the students were like solving problems together, and it was just like an energy that I hadn't been around in a long time. Um, so I, I would just say two things. I think first, this idea of life, lifelong learning. Uh, I don't think that most people will have the same career that they went to school with. And I think you know, that's probably all of us now, but I, I think it's going to change even faster in the future. So really probably instilling in, in students it's okay to have multiple careers and multiple shifts. Uh, and then again, I come back to the importance of relationships. The, the thing that I participated in yesterday with OSU's uh, OSU, so like, uh, cover like real estate was really all about the students building relationships with other business leaders and being able to kind of get real real life examples uh and I, again i just come back to i think relationships have been so paramount in my life and i think that would be the thing that i would try to really instill is like constantly go out and build relationships because it provides a really nice safety net for them whenever that change happens yeah so the the the,
0: the threat that's going around is let's stop teaching kids on being right let's get them how to be prepared, right? Uh, and then, and then it's, it's funny, it's not just multiple careers over one's life, it's multiple careers at the same time. Right, it's, it's, it's funny how, how people are, so so this has been great. Any other question? We could probably go to two more. So, uh, Brad, I was really struck with the strategy that you
2: used with your employees, uh, talking with them, understanding them, and then relating that back your strategy, Um, I thought that was really clever, and then aligning their goals. How do all of you address, you're talking about human skills here, and one of the human skills is emotional maturity and vulnerability. How do you account for the vulnerability of
1: potentially being wrong in this society? I mean, I'm I'm like always wrong. (laughs) I mean, I, I would just say that uh, look, We were certainly not perfect uh, where we work, but I, we have this idea that you're just trying, you're creating, you're throwing things against the wall. Uh, but it's definitely being accountable for when things don't go right, and then you know, you're just starting it over again. But uh, I try to leave the vulnerability. Uh, I think that that does kind of waterfall down to other people. I think it waterfalls into the people that we hire, and that becomes a, a greater opportunity to build a more, more vulnerable culture. Uh, But I I think in today's world with all the problems that we're facing both in business and outside, we're gonna be constantly trying to come up with all different solutions and we're gonna be wrong often. But we have to have the ability to go up and try again. So, yeah. I have two two answers.
3: Uh, One is very tactical and one is more global. The tactical one is, and we talked about this in our interview, one of the things we did at our company is we, we tried to operationalize our values so each of our core values afterwards is a series of imperative sentences is what it means to do that, right? So when, what does it mean to be authentic? And one of the things we say is be vulnerable and allow space for others to be vulnerable. And so then when we do our quarterly reviews of people, we don't just review them on their technical capabilities. We say, are you meeting the bar for these values? Because this is a, this is the fit for the company. And if you want to be here, this is the way we want to all operate. So what I would try to do in those situations is give examples for them of when they have or haven't done that, so that, 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 they, that I am encouraging the proper behavior, uh, or the, the, not proper, the behavior we want to encourage for the company. The second piece, whether it be Dale Carnegie, Simon Sinek, Franklin Covey, whoever you want to go back to, they all talk about modeling the behavior you want to see. I think it was, uh, what's his name? I um, can't remember his name. Uh, black gentleman, poet from the, um, uh, the Aldman. Aldman said, you know, I can't get the quote right, but you, you know, you can yell at kids and tell kids what to do, but if you watch kids, what they will do is to do what you do, right? So modeling behavior that you, and I got that quote wrong, but that basically just it. <laughs> Modeling the behavior you want to see. If you want to show that it's wrong, it's okay to make mistakes. Make mistakes openly and publicly with your team so that they can see it, and then they get confidence within you and the team that you show them how you can fix it and move forward. Yeah, and
2: I, I want to just uh, add to that because you, you hit on um, by showing by example. Uh, we work with a lot of youth um, in, our, in our program for the summer, and uh, we were just talking about this in our, in our group session. Um, it, was, it was funded by my brother's keeper, so it was first it was for all boys. And um, we kind of studied what happened uh, through this transition. But in the beginning, uh, the, young, the young men, they really loved it because it gave them a space, a safe space to be vulnerable. And in that in that moment, we were you know sharing with them about you know being vulnerable to opening yourself up to you know really live out your full potential. And then um, because there were so many girls who wanted to be in the program, we were like, we can't just save all this magic just for the boys. We're getting too many calls. Girls were like, hey, I want to get into this too. And uh, as soon as we introduced the girls into it, um, the posture changed of all the boys right they were like oh crap so because of conditioning it was like okay now i gotta be the strong tough you know guy right i gotta be that man and and all of these things and they kind of lost the sense of that safe vulnerability that they had and so as we were watching that we started to uh make sure we went back to them we started to actually add it into our teaching across the board is that you know um this is still a safe space right and no matter if it's guys or girls Uh, But to be vulnerable and and you really, you know, teaching them that if you're ever going to really live your full potential, you have to be willing to be vulnerable. You have to be willing to be wrong, you have to be willing, and in in our space too, the way we support that is because we're trying something totally new. And so we're like, by example, saying, hey listen, we're failing all the time. And we have to be vulnerable, we have to express ourselves because we're trying to do something different and we're not going to be able to do that if we're not vulnerable, if we're not, you know, uh, open to failing and open to, you know, feeling hurt. So, um, we're teaching by example, basically, as you said, too, as well.
0: Awesome, one last question.
4: More of an observation, first of all, uh, I couldn't agree with you more, as the principal of a high school, the uh, high school that's also a college prep, highly rigorous uh, type of curriculum, Getting kids to understand the importance of being able to allow themselves the grace to fail is so critical uh, because that's where growth occurs. So I think your statements are, are really uh, spot on. Uh, also, the the observation that you know we are we are essentially preparing kids for careers that don't even exist now. So it's really about skill set. And it's about making sure that we are allowing kids to explore the creative element Uh, for for the longest time in the not too recent past the focus has been on uh uh, you know critical thinking focus pounding critical thinking and obviously very important but there there was a an unnecessary dichotomy between critical and creative thought, and we're finally starting starting to understand that they have to coincide. They have to work together, and so that's that's what that we're attempting to do. Um, and one of the greatest challenges, and this is kind of a not too many blessings of COVID, but there was there is one blessing, and that is. Within the field of education, we are looking outside for people to come in who can have the capacity to teach. Uh, And so we literally have been looking for a year uh, for someone that has the ability to bring in practical experience and to teach kids in an area of design and innovation. And it's a very difficult thing to market but uh, it's something that we're committed to, but we appreciate the opportunity thank Thank
0: you. Thank you, uh, Brent, thank you, Yogi, thank you, Mike. Uh, Thank you all for for all the attention, but this has been a great conversation. Thanks a lot. Thank you, guys, appreciate it. The Say Hi to the Future podcast series is produced by Sonia Romero, edited by Matt Miller, and special effects by Edward Vasquez. Please leave us your thoughts and let us know if there's a guest you want us to have a conversation with. You can find all Say Hi to the Future podcast series on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube.